I will say the people that, that I, clients I had that with anxiety or some with ADHD felt better because finally things had slowed down a bit and they were like, oh, I, I never thought I'd be able to do anything different because I didn't know how to change anything as long as things were really, really going quickly. Now they had a chance because everything stopped to take a breath and then they were able to reorganize and they have actually really uh, thrived. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review on the Apple podcast platform from Alexandra RL. Hits the nail on the head. I am so happy I found this podcast. Naturally, I binged it. Episode after episode, I feel connected to the guests and their stories resonate so much. I finally feel seen and empowered and it is these types of conversations that can be so healing. Thank you so much for starting this podcast. I am so grateful. This kind of review makes me so happy. Thank you, Alexandra. I am thrilled that you found this podcast and that you are finding healing and connection because I certainly am too, and it is amazing. If you are a listener and you are loving this podcast, please press pause and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a quick review to let me know. Or you could simply just give me five stars and then come on back. It's quick and it's easy and it helps this podcast get found by other women who have been diagnosed with ADHD and are looking for answers and community and hoping to feel less alone. And while you're at it, now that you've found your people, come on over and join us on the Women in ADHD online community. Head over to womenandadhd.com to join us, or you can find the link in the show notes. This is episode 42, in which I interview the incredible Inger Shea Colsey. Inger Shea is an ADHD coach and psychotherapist specializing in making a difference for black woman executives and entrepreneurs with ADHD. She has successfully run her own practice, Alchemy Coaching and Counseling, as a therapist and a licensed clinical social worker for 15 years in spite of being undiagnosed until in her 50s. We talk a lot about the specific struggles faced by women with ADHD, especially as mothers, and the difficulties articulating those struggles for ourselves and for others, and even to determining where we're struggling and how to even quantify that struggle. We also discuss coping mechanisms for ADHD and the importance of advocating for yourself as a woman, a woman of color, as a mother, and modeling your coping strategies for your ADHD children. Inger Shea has a list of accreditations a mile long and was an absolute joy to interview, so I know you are going to get a lot out of this episode. Enjoy. My first question is always how you were diagnosed and kind of what led up to it. I know you were diagnosed through your son getting diagnosed. Um, but yeah, talk me through that. How old was your son and how long ago was this? So my son, how long ago was this? This is a good question. Uh, this is where the working memory part doesn't work so well. Uh, <laughs> my son was in fifth grade. So this was uh, like six, seven years ago. And he was diagnosed um, as at the school, you know, they can't ask you to get your child diagnosed, but they were asking us to get a diagnosed. And then he was, and it was like, oh, that sounds about right. But then we didn't do anything much about it. Um, my husband's like, it, you know, it'll be fine and we'll just do some other things. And it wasn't fine. <laughs> we had to like, uh, there was a lot of uh, upset during middle school. But mm -hmm. what happened was he was diagnosed and when I got those rating scales, I was like, oh, that's me. That's me. But third question, I was like, oh, you have this also. Uh, so that's what's funny 
is that I kind of suspected it. I'd heard about it, but I kind of dismissed it. Uh, I am a therapist and we went to school, at least when I went to school a long time ago, we talked about ADHD for, I don't know, it's a paragraph and it was a child's disease. So I didn't even consider it would be something that, you know, I would have to deal with, but, uh, having to take care of him, um, you know, making sure that he was getting through school. I didn't have time for, to get a diagnosis for myself. It wasn't even a thought until, uh, as you do get older, I'm a therapist and I was talking and I couldn't find any words to say. I was just speaking around and around and around in circles and it scared me. I thought I had early onset Alzheimer's. So, um, that led me to do some research about what this could be. And then when it said that with ADHD and women and your hormones, um, then I was like, oh, I need to definitely find out what's going on and do I have it? It wasn't easy to get diagnosed. Um, I had to drive about an hour away from my house to get someone to diagnose me under my insurance. Because, uh, I mean, it's, it, I got diagnosed if I went to spend $5,000 but I didn't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I drove about an hour uh, and found this lovely psychotherapist, uh, no psychologist. And as soon as we talked for five minutes, she was like, well, I'm pretty sure you have it, but we'll run through the test. Um, and so when I found out, I, many women come in and are like, you know, it's that light bulb and a revelation. And for me, it was just like, oh yeah, like you already knew this. So it's just kind of like a confirmation of what you already knew. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good thing to have, but it, it wasn't that huge sigh of relief. Uh, it was more like now, what can we do about it? You know, I'm always, I guess, in the vein of like moving fast, like what can we do to help this? Because I couldn't, I couldn't go around without having any words. Um, so that was great. But I will say what was interesting for me is that I was having a pretty, a pretty good life. Um, I was working. I was a psychotherapist. I had my son. I had another job. Um, you know, I, I have a husband. Like there was a lot of things happening that were great. So when I thought about ADHD, it would be where a lot of things that were happening that weren't great. So that part was the part that was confusing. Uh, it wasn't until I started doing my research that this is common with a lot of women that, you know, we're doing all of the things, we're getting things done, but all of that internal struggle all of that feeling of inadequacy and all of that moving, all those moving parts. Like if one thing fell out of all the juggling, everything would fall apart. That was the part that was killing me. Um, Just running around like that and doing all that. And I didn't really know that that's what it was. I just thought I wasn't uh, keeping up with my psychotherapy notes (laughs) as well as other people. Uh, I didn't realize all the rest of the things were really, um, just really feeling like uh, somebody, you know, it was like, dying inside I call it the hamster wheel from hell and <laughs> yeah I find that's kind of um that was my experience which sometimes I find some other people were like you know they look back it's like oh they didn't really know what was happening and they were so surprised for me it was like oh I didn't know that this part uh that part of the anxiety is what was happening for me uh, I think the fact that it took you two years to actually get the diagnosis feels very ADHD to me in itself <laughs> uh <laughs> Right. Which is that's like you said, like moving very fast and and also um, just the overwhelm of life. I mean, I think um, one of the things I personally got, I related to so many things that you were saying. The um, One of the things that I find I struggle with now 
as, you know, a woman who has, my children are older now, so they're like 14 and 10. So I feel like I'm in this kind of sweet spot where they're not toddlers, which was horrible. Um, but you know, they're also not adults yet, but so I'm, you know, I'm still kind of tied to them. Um, but I feel like I have a lot more like support in my life right now. And um, so sometimes I sort of wonder like how much am I even struggling? I feel like I've got this kind of devil angel on my shoulder and there's the angel that's like, oh, this ADHD diagnosis has explained to all of your struggles throughout your life and why motherhood was so difficult when they were babies and why you struggled in school. And, and now, you know, the executive function and it was just like all of this checklist and yes, ADHD explains everything. And this is the answer you've been looking for your whole life, all that time that you felt, you know, that you were misdiagnosed with depression, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so it feels like, yes, I, I have that overwhelming relief and, and, and euphoria feeling, but then there's the devil on my other shoulder, which is like, are you really struggling or are you just lazy? Like that voice still comes back, which is like, yeah, you probably, everybody feels this way. You know, like what makes you any different from any other mom? What makes you think you're struggling more? You know, you're, you know, the only reason why it feels like you're struggling more is because you can't get your act together. You know, <laughs> like I still feel despite the diagnosis, that voice still is very, very loud in me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I, like I said, I'm a psychotherapist, but I'm not an ADHD coach now. And the difference is really when I started coaching ADHD, was really looking into what that is. Why is it, this, you know, the struggle's not enough, right? <laughs> it's like, right? is yeah. your struggle actually real? Because, you know, you're not necessarily the person who, you know, can't pay any bill or can't, you know, yeah, your checkbook's not done or, you know, yes, you have stuff all over the counter, but there's some people that can't even cook dinner and it's like, your struggle is your struggle. Your struggle is your struggle and your struggle is real and it's valid. Um, you know, sometimes, and that's that thing where sometimes you can get it all done, all of it. And then sometimes none of it gets done. So acceptance to me was like, a, it's a big part. It's a really, really big part that it's consistently inconsistent or consistently <laughs> inconsistent, either way you want to say it. But, uh, that your struggle is your struggle. That struggle is real, but it doesn't have to be that it now envelops your entire life. You know, your, your ADHD is always going to be there, but being able to have, you know, that radical self-compassion that that happened, <laughs> that there are dishes in the things, or um, for me, it's the mail or the clutter, you know, or the other parts that are really great where I can do um, all kinds of Herculean feats, like taco, I'll like 10 clients in a day. It's a breeze, you know, because I like it or like do some things for my son. It's, you know, leading into the parts that really, really work for you, um, your strengths, and then bolstering up the parts that hold you back. So your deficits and, and be, but being okay that some days you don't even know which ones, <laughs> which ones which. <laughs> So, you know, it's that acceptance piece so that when you hear that voice, like, are you just lazy? It's like, lazy is not a thing. I think everybody's doing the best that they can when they can do it. Um, so that's not even a word that I use because mm -hmm. we are doing our best. And some days our best is that, you know, there's just takeout. Right? There's no, you know, I didn't cook the gourmet meal, even though I have all the ingredients, you know, or nobody got to bed on time or I love, I love, um, 
you know, I make dinner a lot of times at nine or 10 o'clock at night. That doesn't work for other people, but it works at my house. Cause if you want to eat, that's when you're eating. Cause that's when I have the time and the energy to usually cook. So it's, it's, you know, leaning into your strengths or what works for you and not really comparing uh, what other people are doing. Cause once you start comparing with anybody, even when you, if you compare with somebody else that's ADHD, that's when you're sunk in the water because you're gonna, definitely going to feel like whatever they're doing is better than what we're doing. It's that kind of negativity bias where we're always thinking what we do is wrong, um, which is not true, but it begins to be that voice in your head. And I just, I always caution everybody that voice in your head, uh, what it's telling you, you've got to guard that to the utmost because that is really what's going to run your life. That voice is telling you things are bad. They're going to be bad. If you can change that voice to say that things are good or at least that things are okay, um, then things will be good or okay. And that's uh, a much better way to live. I love that. We actually have a, a self-deprecation jar in my house where because my son loves to call himself lazy. He's in the fourth grade and... Um, you know, and I'm always, I'm like, you're not lazy. I've seen you spend hours building things in Minecraft that are insane. Like you cannot use the L word anymore in this house. I still use it myself all the time in my head, but yeah, uh, it's definitely outlawed in my house. Uh, so just to backtrack a little bit, what was it that alerted teachers when your son was in the fifth grade? What were they thinking was ADHD at the time? Cause I know it's so different in boys, yeah, so they, I'm sure they were thinking it long before fifth grade. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, schools just aren't usually set up for people with ADHD. So, you know, being able to sit down in class, being able to pay attention to something that you're not, you don't care about. Because, um, you know, that's the thing. Like you're saying, your son, well, he's building something for hours. That's great. But when there's like some, you know, schoolwork, there's no reward behind that. There's maybe something they right. care about. So then you think you're lazy because you don't want to do that report or, you know, if you have um, any learning differences. So being able to, you know, not comprehension, but learning differences in your learning styles. Uh, my son also has a visual processing disorder. It just takes a little longer. But when they're expecting your child to be able to do things uh, as fast maybe as others, it just takes a little while for him to process. Uh, and many people with ADHD, you take a little longer to process. Uh, then you feel like you're you're lazy or you're crazy, you know, or you're stupid. And those are the things. And then they call that to your attention. Like there's something wrong with your child um, as opposed to, hey, let's look at what's going on for your child so that we can best support them. You know, it's really like, and the fact that they can't even really say we want to have them evaluated. I understand why they don't allow teachers to do that. But that right there makes you and your child feel like there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that's something that definitely needs to be looked at. Yeah, you know, my with remote learning this year, my son had me basically as his full time tutor. And it's while well, he hasn't officially been diagnosed, I know he has ADHD just from what I've learned of it in, in my own journey. Um, and so I've been able to help him in ways that I probably wouldn't have been able to help him before my own diagnosis. And he's done amazingly this year as a result of my help. And so I really struggled when he was going back into school four days a week now. 
you know, like, have I raised his expectations too high because now he needs me as his help? And so is he going to kind of feel like he, does he have this false sense of security? And I was like, of course, because I'm a mom and a woman, I was taking it all on myself being like, I've done a terrible thing by, by helping him. And I just stopped and I was like, no, like this has been an amazing learning experience in terms of how much and what kind of help he actually needs in order to get the results. It's not like I was doing his work for him. It was just really eye-opening for me to realize, A, the kind of help he's going to need moving forward and the kind of one-on-one -on -one attention he's going to need moving forward, but also like how, how ingrained it is in me that we shouldn't need help, you know, that, that ultimately we should be able to do things on our own. And that really like, if you need help, therefore you are deficient somehow. I'm like, that is the society in which we are formed. Right. I mean, that's so ingrained in us. Yeah. And, and it's not great for kids or adults because that's what happens. Um, you know, then we grow up and can't figure out why we feel depressed or upset or have anxiety where you're trying to do all this alone. Uh, we weren't meant to be here and do things alone. We were meant to, uh, you know, do things with other people. That's why community is so healing in the ADHD space. Like when you're around people that are like you, that might talk mm -hmm. over people or, and, and they don't care that you've done that, or they might be a few minutes late. It's not now a character flaw. Right. Uh, you might come to their house, it's disorganized. You're not like, oh, you're dirty. Uh, that kind of community, finding people who are just like you, that's where the healing space comes in. And it's just so sad that, you know, it starts with our kids and it becomes so ingrained in us that then sometimes you don't want to put that on them. But, um, you know, you're grappling yourself because we are humans too. Like we're moms, but we're humans and we're, we're moms with ADHD. So, you know, we're doing it the best that we can, the best way that we can. And trying to model for them that sometimes, Sometimes we're great. Sometimes we mess up. And that's okay because a lot of times, like you said, they'll, you know, we'll, we'll like, go, oh, no, did I do the wrong thing? It's like, sometimes you do the wrong thing. Sometimes you do the right thing. Sometimes like, look at it. Let's look at it and see what was actually done. So like giving them um, some of what we're learning, especially now that we know about our ADHD. I wish I had known when my son was younger about my ADHD. Um, because again, I didn't get, whether it wasn't two years, uh, he got diagnosed in fifth grade. He is in 11th grade now. So I've been diagnosed about two years. So maybe it was like closer to three or four years. But I kind of wish that I knew what I, I definitely wish I knew what I know now to be able to help him. As you know, when they're teenagers, they don't want to, they want to walk by you and just go, mom, mm -hmm. until they need you. <laughs> but I am still able to give, um, a lot of what I have, but I would have given anything to have the time that you have with your kid uh, during this time to, for that bond too. Not only to just help him, it's like the bond that you form is a bond that you'll take forward. Um, you know, as, as things get harder and they need your help, you'll have that bond, which will really help you to help him. I wanted to let you know about the brand new women and ADHD online community. So two things I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is A, wow, I feel so much less alone. And B, I feel like I finally found my people. We have felt so alone for so long. 
which is why the desire to understand ourselves and make connections and feel understood is really strong in all of us. I mean, it's why I started this podcast, to find others who were experiencing life like I was. And in doing so, I have met so many guests and listeners who are just amazing, brilliant ADHD women. And now I want you all to meet each other. That's why I've started this free online community because I believe finding our people is an integral part of treating our ADHD. When it comes to understanding our brains and the way we tick, we do so through conversation and community. We like to talk it out and get feedback and explore ourselves and sort through the chaos and ultimately know that we are not alone in all of this. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join. It's totally free. You can look around, introduce yourself, post thoughts and questions, pontificate to your heart's content. And there's also a constantly evolving list of ADHD resources. And you also have the option at any time to upgrade, and that'll give you all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, as well as twice monthly live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we talk about our ADHD brains and symptoms and hormones and nutrition and plenty of other life topics we obsessively ponder as neurodivergent women. So again, head over to womenandadhd.com to join us. There's also a link in the show notes. All right. I can't wait to see you there soon. So now you had a, a similar experience, at least with undergrad, as I did, which was dropping out of quite a few times. <laughs> you had a, I like to say I had a complicated relationship with academia. You obviously went much further with your academia. Uh, but looking back over your youth, what were some signs of ADHD now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's funny because I'm, I'm a little older than you. I was, uh, I, I'm in my fifties. And so when I was growing up there, didn't have ADHD. It was just like figure it F out. Like that's what I had figure it out. And so that's what I did. But when I look back, um, you know, I started school early, um, my mom kind of pushed for it because that's what you did back then. You made sure, you know, you felt like you were pushing your kid up, um, knowing probably the, the vet developmental delays. I probably could have waited, but I was smart enough, far smart enough to start. But, um, you know, being that smart that I was the only kid that passed the test to be able to do that, that they, the, the administrators that they had ever had, nobody had ever passed. Then you're in school. And once you get to like third or fourth grade, um, where then they're making uh, judgments about you because I was late and I was disorganized and I forget to turn in homework. I'd be up all, you know, doing the homework and you start saying, what is, what's wrong with, something's wrong with me. You know, uh, I forget I was the crossing guard and then I was late every day to be, be out there early. And the teacher brought me up in front of the room and took the little crossing guard thing away and said, obviously she doesn't care. And I was like oh. mortified and it was like, Oh, something's wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of started the beginning of where I really was like, what's happening here? Um, and then when you move up to high school, just all the time, like you're the girl with so much potential. Like, you know, you can do all these things, but you just don't seem to do them. Um, and I was like, okay. <laughs> 
What is my potential? <laughs> Where are you seeing this? Why am I not seeing this? Yeah. Well, I saw, I knew, I, this is the thing. I always knew I had potential. I always knew I could do whatever it is I wanted to do. I felt it was then. That's your problem. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was the thing. I was always an eternal optimist that I always felt like something was not quite right. I, did, I never knew what. I was always confused. I feel like I, was, I spent many years more confused than necessarily upset um, because I was always like, yeah, but I knew I didn't care about that stuff. And I didn't think it mattered so much. I just kind of went the way it went. You go to high school, you go to college, you get out, you get corporate America, you work 25 years, you get your gold watch and you're done. And then it's like, oh no, you go to college. And there's no support, but I didn't know that. I knew that I was alone. I was, I had just turned 17, like a couple weeks before, and I was alone at college, five states away. Yay. So <laughs> with no support, it's like, what's getting done? Nothing. Nothing's getting done. You're trying to create social uh, relationships, which I didn't realize I wasn't good at because I had a good close group of friends, but we all grew up together. Um, you know, not understanding about, you know, what it was to be in school and what to pick out your classes and then how you're going to organize your home, your work, and then have a social life. Ugh, that wasn't good at all. So I, you know, this thing, I never dropped out, but I never dropped out. I had the benefit of wonderful parents who I love and adore <laughs> because they just kept paying. <laughs> but it wasn't now, it's like $60,000 a year <laughs> that. But they would just, be, you know, I'd pass it off and then they'd just pay. And then I'd pass it off and they'd just pay. And then I'd drop classes and so I'd only have a few. So I still, I was always able to stay above the 2.0, but yet stay in school for eight years. Like, that's a feat, right? <laughs> how I did it. But I did have the benefit of parents that just, you know, kept saying, like, you know, you can do this. But I will say there was a day when... um it's funny, I'm old enough that they had phone booths. Yes, I was at a phone booth, even though I had a phone in my home. I was at school in Virginia, shout out to Virginia State. But I was at the phone booth and um, talking to my father and he was like, all right, well, it's, it's time for you to come home. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to come home. And he's like, yeah, like pretty much I want to be done paying. I was like, no, no. And then I kind of calmed down and I said, listen, if you give me this one chance, he's like, I'm going to figure this out. Give me one more semester. And if I don't, then yeah, I don't have anything to say, so. My father was wonderful, and he was like, okay. Uh, and that was the day I figured it out, I think, because then there was some accountability. You know, I had grown up a bit because I'd been there for over, <laughs> for over four years. Um, and then I realized all the things that I knew about myself to do. I need to attend class to pass. I'm not that person that can just read the notes. I knew that, but it's like, now you have to do it. Guess what? You have to be in class on time. I would go to class. My clothes might be all wrinkly. People laugh. It's like, yeah, I'm at that eight o'clock class because that was the mm -hmm. only way I was going to get there. I was going to get up and look cute. No, that was never happening. It was like, go get there, like brush your teeth, maybe, but then come home and you can get ready. Um, ask for help. Like, ask the teachers for help when you don't understand. Get a group together. Whenever there's a group project, I used to hate it, but then I learned you get a group project, everybody's going to do a piece and somebody's going to hold you accountable and pick the piece you're good at. Um, I'm we forget we had a finance class. I didn't know how to do finance, but I knew how to speak. And the big project was to do this. Uh, I don't remember like an analysis, but somebody had to then come up and give a presentation. So I said, I'll speak. And you know, nobody else wants to public speak. And they're like, you do? I was like, yes, if you guys do all, all that work and then explain it to me, I'll get up there and speak. Now, I don't know what they were saying, but I could memorize stuff like, 
at the moment and then spit it all out. And then I forget Mercury numbers work like that. But I did that. And even when a teacher kept asking questions, because teachers clearly know I didn't know what I was doing, because I could remember <laughs> all that they said down to the very last like decimal. I was like, oh, and we got an A. And I finally passed that class. I only took it like three times. So it's, you know, learning though, like that was my strength. My strength was A, I knew I could remember it. B, I knew I could go up there and present it in a way and be able to deal with the fire from the teacher, which then made everybody there happy. And then they liked me too. So it was, you know, it, just, it was a benefit all over. So leaning into the strengths I knew I had, little did I know that those were coping mechanisms for ADHD. Um, but then what I find interesting is fast forward to graduate school, which is a long way after that. Um, I had to then write the best essay they said they'd ever seen because my grades were so bad to get into graduate school. But I went to graduate school. I graduated on time, even though um, I had a baby, I got pregnant and had a newborn. And I missed one day of class. And because I had a baby that day, the next day, week I was in class and they were like, why are you here? And I said, because you said we could only miss two. And I, I if the baby gets sick, I'd need another one. The teacher said, really? We really would have given you an extra day. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's just different. And, and, and your interest-based attention. Like, I was interested in the grad school. It was really important to me. It was something I wanted to do. Uh, I have my master's in social work. The rest of the class was like an undergrad. You know, I'd rather be out, like, hanging out with my friends. But it's the things you, I know now about ADHD that, you know, make that, those are where I'm like, oh, that's why that happened. But again, it's that figuring it out, like looking at like, okay, what did work? And then using all of them and and knowing that in my 20s has really helped me through to now in my 50s. Yeah, that's a great point. I feel like my motivation shifted. I went for my first year, my freshman year, and then dropped out after my freshman year because I was like, I'm wasting my parents' money. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not going to class. I'm just hanging out and partying. And then once I took a year off, I kind of had that moment of like, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I feel like I want to go back to university and just get this BA. And so that was my motivation at that point. And I did, I had a lot of those sort of same coping mechanisms of like, okay, now I know if I'm going to go back, I need to sit front row center in every single lecture and I need to actually go to classes and I need to, you know, like it was, I, it took all of my focus and energy to really perform. But my motivation was the fact that I'm like, I'm here, I'm back, I'm going to pull myself up by those bootstraps and all of that, that grit, you know, when you sort of feel like I've got that motivation finally. And and I think it eludes us sometimes to feel like, you know, because like you said earlier, like you can't really predict when you're going to have that motivation and when you're not. And sometimes you would think like, why am I, why am I not able to replicate this behavior from one, from one moment to the next and that's where the interest-based part comes in too it feels very so nuanced (laughs) it is it is it's different for each person and it's different for you every time so you know there are times when I have to throw rewards behind it for myself now it's like oh you'll get to go out or you know spend some spend some money or something or something like that and many most of the time for me though accountability is what I need I um Mm-hmm. I'm a coach yeah. that has a coach, right? So if somebody says, so there's, I know there's somebody going to just say, hey, that thing you said you were going to do, are you going to do it? And then it's like, oh, yeah, because I'm not going to go back and say they're not going to do it. I mean, that's how, um, it's funny, I have worked out and I didn't know that that was part of like managing your ADHD. I have had a trainer for 20 years. Um, 
And for th- there's a point where you're kind of like, oh gosh, do I have to pay for this? But the reason why I'll be able to work out for over 20 years is because two times a week, somebody is waiting for me with an appointment, but I'm not going to miss my appointment. And so I've worked out only when I was pregnant and when I uh, was nursing in the beginning. The only time I've missed that, missed, you know, pretty much that long working out, which for, it's funny because a lot of times they're like, oh, we do stuff and then we stop. It's like, if you put in the accountability that works for you or the different things that, you know, help you get there, whether it's accountability or like I said, some type of reward or like knowing your why, you'd be surprised how long you can sustain something. Um, but it's just knowing about what it is that works and then using it and then knowing if you need to do something else to change it up. I mean, I will say I've had different trainers over that time. It's the same place, mm-hmm. but sometimes we change trainers. And I think that that's part of it too. That probably when I was like, oh, I'm bored. It's like, oh, here comes a new person, right? We're going to do something different. I've had a job for over 20 years too. I, my life is pretty interesting. So I had my undergrad degree, lots of jobs, you know, either I'm quitting or I'm getting fired, working for a while. And it's like, oh, I'm bored. So then once I got bored, did I know I was going to have to quit or, you know, be fired? I didn't realize that was the ADHD. But I was going to go to law school, which is a thing that I don't know why they would say, you can use your JD, right? Everybody, you could always use it somewhere. Where would you use it if you weren't going to be an attorney? I don't understand. But uh, <laughs> I would, I would get all the like I'm old enough for like send in the mail that send you the old test, you know, take the LSAT, and I would just get them and never take it. And then, uh, but I knew I parents had paid enough; they weren't going to pay for law school, so I was going to have to pay. And the girl who did my nails was like, "You should do nails. You can do it whenever you want." Um, and you'll, you know, you'll have enough money to pay for yourself. Well, when I went to cosmetology school, I ended up liking it. So I went to do this for a few months before law school. And I've worked in a salon um, for over 20 years in, a, in the same salon. I worked only in two salons <laughs> for, for most of the 20 years um, because I found somewhere where I found comfortable. And I you know, was different every day, different people speaking all the time, doing different services. And it's just uh, actually, unfortunately, you know, with the pandemic, we're going to close uh, in a few weeks. Um, that gives me more time to concentrate on what I'm doing here with ADHD. But I was still working on Saturdays because I wanted to. For many, they were like, stop working. I was like, well, I like it. Why do I have to stop? You know? Yeah. But it, it just goes to show that not all, it, sometimes I feel like people just feel like we are fuck ups. Uh, another term is like, we just can't do anything. And that's just not true. We just have to mm-hmm. figure out the best ways that it works for us. And part of that's acceptance of your ADHD and the way that it, it manifests for you. Then you know how to work with it. And that, that's what's really important is to figure out, yes, this is real. <laughs> yes, this is happening to you. Like it's just, but it's just your brain. It's just the way that your brain is. And then once you can go, okay, that's fine. It's like, how does this work for you? Yes, I have a, I have a college degree and I work in a salon. But then, yes, I had a college degree. I worked in a salon. I went to grad school and had a baby all the same time. (laughs) But that's my journey. That's, you know, that was what was for me. And dinner gets made at 10 o'clock at night. Okay. Yeah. But that's my life. So letting people just live their lives the way that they need to live them. Um, You know, as long as everybody, to me, as long as everybody's safe, you know, safety, beyond safety, pretty much. 
live your life the way you need to. Yeah. I think reframing a lot of that stuff has been so important for me since my diagnosis in terms of just how I looked at myself and, and even just, you know, that, because I I felt like there was that pendulum of, you know, the manic interest in things, the hyper-focus, the manic energy when I was super into something and I'd stay up all night thinking about it. And then the um, lethargy and that kind of exhaustion that comes from not wanting to fold laundry or do, you know, some of these boring tasks that would, I would get that paralysis. And so I definitely had that feeling of, you know, thinking I had bipolar, like I think a lot of women do before they're diagnosed, that, that swing. And now I'm able, it's, I'm so much more able to view myself as both of those sides of the pendulum as opposed to what I used to do, which is only focus on the bad side and just be like, and and I would only create my own identity out of all of the negatives. I never took, put value in the positives. I never saw them. I, they always seemed kind of random and, and without, um, without any sort of seeming um, pattern or impetus. And so the, the, the one thing I felt like I was always, it, it was more like, instead of a pendulum, it was almost more like a rubber band. Like I, w- I would get pulled into different directions, but my natural state was when the rubber band would get uh, let go of, and I would be back to the couch in paralysis on my phone thinking I was a, a, a horrible, lazy person. So the fact that I've sort of been able to look at the more like organic whole self and realize that you're not lazy, you're, you're recharging, (laughs) you know, you just, you you just spent 12 hours researching, you know, some random topic that was fascinating to you. And now you need to recharge. And so a lot of that, I feel like a lot of my self-worth has improved so much just in the way I've been able to kind of redefine those moments. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know, I'm very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and in fact, it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it's so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. The service is available for clients worldwide, so there's a broad range of expertise, which may not be available locally for a lot of us. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash Women ADHD. Have you noticed since the pandemic, have you noticed like, because I'm a pandemic diagnosis, um, have you noticed a proliferation of ADHD diagnoses this year? Because, you know, you were talking earlier about um, that kind of house of cards and the fact that we had it all, you know, we were barely keeping everything together. And then it feels to me like that a lot of the, um, my the way in which, ADHD, which had been suggested to me over the years by my therapist, suddenly like really became meaningful to me after the pandemic. Um, anyway, my uh, my question is: Have you have you noticed a proliferation this past year? And kind of what have your clients been telling you, or what do you what do you feel like is the pattern, especially with women our age, especially with women of color? I mean, what is what's happening here and do you feel like it's, what is it about the society we're living in right now that's bringing this ADHD to the fore? Uh, 
Um, well, yeah, you're right. I've had, um, many people, you know, that the realization of ADHD or, you know, just coming even for, um, mental health diagnoses, just that they feel like something's clearly wrong here. Uh, now that we've had the pandemic and, you know, there is all the different stressors that are different than the stressors that you normally even had. So sometimes when you're coping, you know, even it might be barely, but you're coping with the stressors you're used to. Once all of those supports uh, went away, then people were like, oh my goodness, they didn't know what to do. I will say the people that, that I, clients I had that with anxiety or some with ADHD felt better because finally things had slowed down a bit and they were like, oh, I, I never thought I'd be able to do anything different because I didn't know how to change anything as long mm. as things were really, really going quickly. Now they had a chance because everything stopped to take a breath and then they were able to reorganize and they have actually really uh, thrived. You know, it's been an up and down uh, event because, you know, it's, it's been much longer than anyone has thought. And, you know, you've got different messaging and different things happening in different places. But generally, um, the people that had some of these diagnoses actually have found that it's been a blessing in the fact that it gave them a chance to slow down. But uh, many people have then just realized they have ADHD because that routine that you had that kind of kept it together, it just went away. <laughs> and now, like I said, maybe your kid is home and you're teaching them, but you still have to work or, oh, I can't even figure out how to order groceries because that's a lot of steps, right? <laughs> you know, it becomes a lot of steps that you are like, I, you know, how come I can't get that done? Uh, so it's even things that seem that small that then made people uh, say, hey, that time I thought about maybe I need a diagnosis. Let me try to get one. Or, you know, they sat down and maybe they heard, like I said, a podcast or read a blog or something and said, that's me. And now I have a chance to try to address this. Um, so I am very happy that people have just like taken that time to really realize that this is happening um because again once you address it once you realize that this is it you get education about it then you can address it and live the life that you at least the the life you choose you know then you have choices to make instead of having like your life run you which a lot of women um i work uh, mostly with uh, black women with adhd they want to feel like their life is running them they're not running their lives because you know, when you don't have working memory, it's like, oh, I, I can't, you know, remember that I had to do this thing and then I have to run and do that. And then I'm behind doing that. Oh, I made an obligation because, you know, we women are always trying to take care of everything for everyone. It's like, oh, I forgot I had all these obligations. How can I do that? Because we people please. <laughs> and then you wait to the, uh, the time when it's all due because we're procrastinating and they just didn't have time to really think about it. But once they had a chance to think about it and now they can address it, then they can start addressing all those things that kind of make you feel inadequate anyway, or just make you feel like you're drowning. So it's, um, it, it, I have a, a huge increase in people finding out, um, or at least wanting to find out. Sometimes there's self-diagnosis. Um, that is a whole nother topic, but, um, you know, at least people are looking into it and then trying to get information and addressing it. I think is really important because um, you don't have to live like this. You really don't have to live in a way where you don't feel comfortable. Yeah. I think so much of that grief around realizing the ADHD, you know, comes from 
as my therapist called it, that brick, you know, she was like that, the realization of how hard you were in fact working like, and, and that you were on this hamster wheel and you didn't even stop to notice that that's what was happening and that you were on there when other people weren't. And so my therapist calls it that brick, you know, that this, you've been carrying it around, you've been working so much harder. And so, but then I think, you know, uh, some uh, this goes back to my I guess my own devil and angel on my shoulder which is like is it really ADHD or is it just the trauma of being a bright woman living in a society that shuts you down for at every turn <laughs> like like I felt like as a feminist you know you're told your whole life to just like oh be nice be likable stop you know don't be so angry and then I think about that from a black woman's perspective and the angry black woman stereotype which is like don't ever speak up for yourself you know anytime you speak up for yourself you have to then you have to sort of manage what the um perception of you is going to be, you know, like that is always this part and parcel with the already existing brick. Um, so I'm curious, like, how does advocacy play for a black woman when it comes to, you know, knowing what you need, knowing what you need for your children? Um, how, how can you advocate for yourself when there's always that sense, like when we're still living in the kind of society where we are told to just you know, stop being so angry, stop being so upset, stop being, um, you know, just deal with it. <laughs> and if you don't like it, it's your fault. I guess that's a big question. <laughs> but I, I just mean like, I feel like this, I get, I get wrapped up in like, why, you know, I think it's all ties into that sense of like, how much am I actually struggling? And how much do I need to advocate for myself versus how much do I need to just like shut up, put on a smile and, and be likable in a, in a awful patriarchal society? Oh, yeah, this is, well, this is the big question, right? This is the big thing where, you know, it, it, it is that where, you know, there's massaging that goes on. So you're right. It's like, you know, you're told to be like a good girl and sit there. Yeah, sit there and look pretty, right? <laughs> you know, there's that. Or to do all this work in order to be, um, you know, recognized and known. Uh, and then there's being a black woman. So there's that on steroids because then there's um, like uh, some people code switch where it's like you have to kind of play to the room. Like who's in the room, to, you know, to know how you're going to figure out how you want to act in that particular space. Um, yeah. because of the way that you could be perceived. Uh, and then there's the ADHD part, which is the part that's invisible, right? So nobody knows. You can see that I'm black, you see that I'm a woman, but you don't know that I have ADHD. So when my desk is, you know, disorganized, it's like, you're messy. You know, if I'm late, then it's like, oh, well, of course she's late. And then maybe you won't get the project or maybe they, they won't think that they can trust you uh, but in spades, like there's uh, no way sometimes to come back from something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, code switching and then there's the masking. So trying to hide your ADHD, like you don't want everybody to know. So you may overwork, you know, uh, we feel like uh, when we're black, we have to work twice as hard to get half as far many times, but then you're going to have to overwork because you have ADHD. So it, it's, it is tiring and maddening. And um, I always have like a bandwidth conversation with my clients. We, the only thing that we have is our bandwidth, right? So there's only a certain amount of it. And when you're using it to code switch and then you're using it to math, um, how much is left for you to actually be who you really are? 
uh, and to get other things done. And that to me is where all of this is really uh, insidious and takes a lot out on your self-worth, like I said. And that's when you're questioning and doubting yourself. And it's like, how do I get off of this wheel? Uh, it is, it's a lot to consider. Um, and people deal with it in many different ways. But it is, um, you know, what, what happens in my, in my life and has happened in my life and, and many women's lives every day, like having to navigate all of those waters. So that's why um, I think that's what led me to advocacy. Because uh, I didn't, you know, I've only been diagnosed, has it been two, two or three years? I don't even know. I guess obviously I don't keep up with dates. But um, uh, when I got diagnosed and I went to uh, the big ADHD conference, the international conference, it was in Philly in 2019. And uh, I was there on the professionals day, but I was helping uh, someone else with a presentation they were doing, but I was just finding out about coaching. But when I was there in Philadelphia, which is a big city in a big hotel for four days with them, I don't know how many breakouts, many, there weren't many uh, black people in space and not many at all. I mean, a handful especially on the professionals say there weren't black people that were doing presentations. I think there was one and uh, maybe one the whole time. And I was like, this is, this doesn't make sense because there are a lot mm-hmm. of black people out here with ADHD. I know, I know that there are um, it's not nothing else. Like, you know, there's mothers or fathers. And when I started asking around, how come I don't see a lot of black coaches here? No one can answer my question. And that's what set me on the road to advocacy because I know that we're here. And I know there are coaches that are out there. But you just don't see them. It's, like, I don't know if they didn't feel comfortable coming to that space or whether there just aren't as many as I think, but I just know that we were out here and that somebody needs to speak to the fact that a lot of our, our struggles are, are the same. Like, you know, we see each other, like that's why we gather in these groups, but we have a struggle that, that is different. Um, you know, walking around and as you can see with some of the events that have happened in the past year in this world, um, when you just the color of your skin can make you to be a weapon it's scary um i have a black son it's really scary uh so you know the fact that that takes so much out of you on your day-to-day and then you have to manage your adhd we need to come together and we need to have people uh like us to be able to with nothing else manage uh just the feelings around that uh, protecting our bandwidth and being together um I refer to ADHD as like a thousand little cuts, like death by a thousand little cuts, because every time something happens, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. We need the healing uh, of community to be able to get through all of those cuts. Um, so uh, with that, like I decided to start a, an association for black ADHD coaches, um, which I'm going to get off the ground sometime this fall um, so that we can come together, be together for community and education of people are looking for black coaches. They'll know a place to find them. Um, and then we can, you know, take that movement and grow from there. But it's just very important because it, you know, it's the life that we are, are living and it's, um, it's important to address it and look at it and, you know, and realize this is here. This is what's happening, not sweep it under the rug, but to really look at it head on and, um, you know, take care of each other in that way. And that to me, that's the way that we make progress. Yeah, I think that's such an important distinction you made where you where you say the symptoms of ADHD are the same in all of us, but the struggle that results 
from those symptoms is very, very different <laughs> based on who we are in society and how we are perceived. And I think that's something we need to distinguish a lot more. Um, and I, I think that association is fantastic and wonderful and um, I'm glad it exists. And now if you could rename ADHD into a, a less problematic uh, acronym, would you call it something else? That is an interesting question. Uh, and I've thought, I've, you know, I've heard, you know, I've heard this before and I've thought about it before and it's like, I don't have another name for it. What I would like is that it, they, we didn't have to have the name for it. The name obviously is problematic. It does not speak to <laughs> what's going on for us at all. Um, and it's in the DSM and I'm not quite sure why, but if we just didn't have a name for it at all, that you're just having your own lived experience. Like this is your experience and being able to use the supports or just live your life in a way that works for you. So, you know, that, that they have, there's a certain way that people think that that thing should with quotes be done. And when you don't do that, then again, it's a character flaw or there's something wrong with you where instead it's like, let someone live their life. If I need to work, you know, from 7 p.m. to like uh, 7 a.m. And that's, those are my good working hours. What does it matter as long as the work is, you know, not to say, oh, you know, you know, because you have to work nine to five. Because that was always a thing for me. Like at school, it's like, why are we here at 7 a.m.? I can't do anything at 7 a.m. You're at 10 a.m. I'm fantastic. So, you know, it's like, but letting people be who they are. But I yeah. don't really take appointments before or I'll do 930. But I don't realize they don't take anything at seven unless it's an emergency because I'm not going to be any good to you. Uh, I will be great for you at 10, 30, 11 or three. Right? So, but just having people live, being able to live the, what, the ways that it's going to make them successful or ask for what it is that you need. Um, many people ask about, should I disclose my ADHD? And so that's up to you. There's so many, uh, you know, misperceptions out there. I always beg people to be careful. But to me, it's like, ask for what you need. If you need a quiet space to get a report done, say, hey, you know, if you need this report done, give me an hour. I'm going to bang this out in this, you know, this room here, <laughs> you know, with the lights the way I need it and the desk the way that I need it, and maybe some headphones, and here you go, versus having to work in a big open office, you know, um, with just somebody giving out, uh, you know, different uh, things for you to do. And you're not even sure what they want, how they want it, where to start. Um, and then you're in overwhelm and you're feeling bad yourself. You know, things that happen, you feel bad about yourself. Whereas if you could just be who you are, we don't have to have a label for it. You can either ask for what you need or people just accept you for who you are. If I'm not looking at you in your eyes, it's not because, uh, you know, I don't care or I'm dismissive. It's because sometimes for people, all that eye contact is a lot. If you want, if I, you want me to hear you, it's actually better for me if my eyes are closed. But I've mm -hmm. learned... To get along in society, I better look you straight in the eye or at your nose. But why should I have to do that? So if society could just let people be who they are and allow that to dictate how you know they're successful, I'm sure most people would be far more successful. And yeah, we wouldn't have as many mental health diagnoses <laughs> because they oh wouldn't goodness. have all that shame that goes with it. And I think a lot of the the shame is what. Um, about most of the diagnoses for therapy. That's how I feel about that one. I'll get on my soapbox and we'll meet you on for three hours. 
No, I love that perspective because it's so true. It was so articulate in terms of the that idea of like the onus should not be on the individual to conform to meet the standards of the classroom or the nine to five or whatever it is. Like the the structure should be able to expand to meet the individual and they're at their in the way in which they can best function. And and I feel like there are our entire society, especially public school and public education, are are the set up in the exact opposite way, which is like like you said, even with your you know, with our kids, like they, the job, the onus is on the family, the onus is on the individual to um, help and work hard and get all of the additional resources so that your child can get shoved into this box and perform as, as well as they can before they're put out into the nine to five job work world or whatever it is that's awaiting them next, as opposed to saying, like, how can we, how can we expand the classroom to meet the needs of everybody? And um, that, so, yeah. That was beautiful. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Just blow Thank up the you. system. That's it. <laughs> I don't think it's that hard to tell you the truth. It's just like, it, you know, expand a little bit. I think they'd be surprised yeah. at how much easier it would be for everyone. You know? Yeah. All right. So now for anybody who wants to find you and work with you, I know you're at ingershay.com, I-N-G-E-R-S-H-A-Y-E.com. Is that the best place to reach you or where can people find you on the internet? Well, that's my website, ingershay.com. Um, I'm at Ingershay on Twitter and Instagram. I have a Facebook, um, my Facebook page is Black Women with ADHD. Awesome. And you have a Facebook group too. Do you still operate the I do. Facebook I have group a Facebook, for Black Women? I, I, yes, I have a Facebook group um, that is Black Women with ADHD Executives and Entrepreneurs. Awesome. So I have, thank you for reminding me. I have that too. <laughs> Uh, I know we always have our fingers in too many pots. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Inger. It's been so wonderful. Yeah, you know, it, this was a pleasure. It was it was such a pleasure. Um, I'm I'm actually so happy to meet you and connect with you because I've um, like I said I, I've listened to your podcast um, and I was just listening to it before we started. But um, I listened to your podcast, so I was like really honored when you asked me to to come on. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.